remain standing just for a moment, I'll invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the fifth chapter of Hebrews. And our sermon text is uh, Hebrews 5, verses 11 to 14. We'll begin our reading, though, in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. These are the words of God. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you so much that you have gathered us to yourself as your dear lambs through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, you have breathed life into us, both giving us existence and then again in causing us to be born again to a living hope. And Father, we praise You for this. And now, as Your children, we come ready, Lord, with our forks and knives and hands so that we might partake of Your Word and and feed upon it and how we need it, O Lord. Um, Each and every one of us comes with specific needs. And You know them all. Lord, You exercise Your providence uh, in a very fine way over every detail of our lives. Uh, You've arranged for us, as it were, times of joy and rejoicing and times of tribulation and difficulty. And Lord, it is for us then to turn to Your Word by the work of Your Holy Spirit to learn how to live for Your glory in each and every season of life that You've ordained. Father, we pray that each and all would leave here with comfort, with joy, with challenge and conviction as we look to Your Word now for wisdom. We pray in Christ's name and for the sake of His glory. Amen. This is uh, the last of just a a brief sermon series we've done in the month of January, thinking about the mandate uh, of Christian maturity. And and recently I've heard, as I'm sure you have as well, heard of more uh, and more community leaders who are looking outward and they're they're saying, we want to, let's have a forum and let's have people from the community come in and tell us, what do you think? What can we do to make things better? And That's always a great advertisement. There's never any shortage of people who are ready to offer their advice on how to do things a little bit better. Um, But on the other hand, don't you see this as an admission by some leaders that we don't know what to do? Uh, I, I think in some sense it's an admission of some who say, 
we're at, we're at just as much of a loss as you are. We don't know how to get the potholes fixed any faster. <laughs> Either they don't know or they simply aren't willing to implement right solutions, right? They don't have the fortitude to do it. Now, this is a good description of many. I think there are lots of people who are, who are really good at identifying problems, as you know, and fewer who are good at offering solutions. Do you find that to be the case? I think there are a lot of people today who are scratching their heads. Not, not just on an international or a national scene or just a local scene, but sometimes even as a father and a mother, you find yourself saying, I, I really, I'm at a loss. I'm not sure what to do in this situation. I'm not sure how to counsel a family member or lead them. And, and you just, you're like, Lord, you're like that woman, that Canaanite woman in Tyre crying out to Jesus saying, help me. And that's a good prayer. They'll never think that it isn't. Sometimes you find folks who are frustrated. Maybe there's a besetting sin involved. And they will say, I don't know what to do. I know that I shouldn't do this, but I don't know how to overcome it. You know people like that. You, you know the don't side of the command, but you don't, you're not familiar with the do side. I, what am I supposed to do? That's what we often asked, ask. And this demonstrates, I think, why maturity is so essential to the Christian life. When you don't grow to maturity, when you're not persevering in the faith, you sacrifice joy. You sacrifice hope. You sacrifice comfort, contentment communion with Christ, and all the good that God intends for you through Christ in this life. You think of the, the benediction in Psalm 128. Um, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. God intends for you to partake of many good things in this life. He intends for you to have joy and hope and comfort and contentment and happiness, abiding happiness and joy in this life. Not just in the life to come. Otherwise, Paul couldn't have said, could he, I've learned how to be content in this life as a prisoner of the Lord. So maturity is, is it's absolutely vital for you and me individually um, as we wrestle with the problems of life, both counseling ourselves and offering counsel to other people. Christian maturity is essential. And so what we find in, in Hebrews chapter 5 is a really simple exhortation. I think... The, the author of this letter in, in this passage shows us the causes and effects of immaturity and the causes and effects of maturity. He, he's a good biblical counselor. He tells you what to put off and what to put on. So we find that, that faithful Christians have to understand the causes and effects of immaturity and the causes and effects of maturity. Now, the, the author of of the letter to the Hebrews, and we're not certain who it is, and I'm not going to offer you a conjecture this morning. But he's a good shepherd. Um, because he's very concerned about the well-being of the people to whom he's writing, and he's writing to the Hebrews. You get that? And this verse, as we get to verse 11, it concludes some of the material that came before. And 
The which or the this that begins verse 11 about this we have much more to say or concerning this we have much more to say. It's a concluding verse and um, it, it either refers to Christ in his priesthood after the order of Melchizedek or it refers to Melchizedek himself um, that Christ himself learned obedience through suffering. He was made perfect and is the eternal source of salvation to all who obey him. That's what we're following up on. That's what we're concluding. But the writer, he, he is informing his readers that what he said all, all leading up to this point is a summary of some things that there's more that can be said about, can be spoken about. But there's a snag. The ones to whom he's writing, they're not ready to receive the information. Throughout this letter, as a faithful shepherd, the writer dips into exhortations to hold fast to the faith and not to wander away. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. He reminds them in chapter 2, verse 2, that neglect of this salvation will result in retribution. In chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He's exhorting them, look to Christ, remember Him. In chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, he says, Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, as a shepherd, he's coming alongside and he's over and over exhorting them, Take care, be careful, be, uh, exhort one another. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. You see, what he's saying is you've received this word. You've been taught well. Now implement it into your lives. And think about it every single day so that you will never find a moment that you're found wanting in your obedience to Christ. This is how he's shepherding this people. And so you can sense <clears throat> that this is a teacher who wants this people to understand the excellencies of Jesus Christ. To know Him. To love Him. To rejoice in Him. And to find that joy in their lives. And so he strongly chastises them even here in chapter 5. And what he begins by showing us in verses 11 to 13 is the cause and effect of immaturity. The cause and effect of immaturity. So notice under this that um, first he identifies the cause, the cause of immaturity. Verse 11. About this, 
Christ as our high priest. We have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So the writer, you can see, he really wants to go on and teach in more depth about this subject of Christ as our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But he's saying it's, these things are hard, there's a lot to say, and some of it is difficult to explain. Um, you think about Peter when he's describing some of Paul's writings, and he says some of it's hard to understand. There's much to say. I want you to note then that he's not just talking about religious or spiritual maturity here. He's speaking about maturity in the general sense. The man who doesn't know God's Word fully and well is not just immature in a religious sense, he is immature in a general sense. The Scriptures refer to him as a fool. What's the cause of, his, of the immaturity of the people? Dull hearing, he says to them. You have become dull of hearing. The word means lazy or sluggish. You think of, if you turn over one chapter and look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 to 12, notice what he says there. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So the opposite of sluggishness, not to be dull of hearing, is to be eager. Not to be sluggish is to have a zeal for learning. Not to be sluggish is to, to have a sense of haste about it. You think, how much time do I have to get this all in? Not to be sluggish is to have a care over the teaching. You're you're not lazy about it. You, You understand the details. You want to know the details. There is an exertion of personal effort. So the cause of immaturity is is a dullness of hearing. And this is a dangerous position to be in. Remember that as we've worked through Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has indicted several times the people because they have ears for hearing, but they don't hear. This was Israel's uh, condition. This is a sign that they lacked the Spirit of God. They were an apostate people. This was Jesus' regular chastisement of His apostles. Remember how frequently does He say, don't you understand yet? Do you not yet perceive And we remember then that a man may be saved and immature, but it is very difficult to distinguish him from an unsaved man. He may be a saved man, but his zeal for the Word and the glory of Christ burns kind of like a birthday candle in his bosom rather than a fire in the fireplace. It doesn't even give him warmth. And this is why the author then so sternly chides his readers. This is an assurance of salvation issue. If you're not growing in the faith, he would say double check to ensure that you have faith at all. 
He also notes the effect of this immaturity. The cause is dullness of hearing. Your ears have become stopped up, as it were. You don't desire the Word. There's no earnestness, no haste, no effort there anymore. What's the effect of it? Now, we've, we've already noted some of the effects as we looked at Ephesians chapter 4. Some of the effects of, um, of immaturity in the faith, especially thinking within the churches, is schism. There's a lack of unity. He talks about the fact that you're tossed to and fro by the waves. You're gullible. You're, you're likely to send your money into a televangelist, so to speak. Verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 5 introduces us to some more effects of immaturity or dullness of hearing. I think there are three of them. You waste time, you waste teaching, and you waste opportunities. You waste time, you waste teaching, and you waste opportunities. Notice what he says in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. The people have wasted time, in a sense. You think about it. At this point, in other words, you ought to be on some 201 or 301 or 401 level classes, and you're not there. In fact, you ought to be able to sort of fill in and be adjunct teachers in some of the classes that we offer, but you can't do that. Now, we don't know how much time has passed when these folks became believers. We don't know any of that. But, but nonetheless, he says, you should be by this time imparting the truth to others. You should be mature. You should know these things. And I, I wanted just to remind you as we think about this that you ought to be teachers of, of, of how it, it, uh, teaching operates within the body of Christ and its importance. So I wanted just to give you a few examples of, of the biblical expectations, uh, expectation. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25. The first, and maybe we could call it the most basic aspect of, of a Christian teaching is a husband uh, teaching his wife. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to do what? That He might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Picking up in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And one modern author commenting on this says, Paul presupposes that husbands will be equipped to answer the questions of their wives. 
Many contemporary women might wonder at this. Why should I ask him? He doesn't know. This is because men have neglected the charge which Scripture gives to all husbands. Men believe that they do not have to know because they believe they have no responsibilities of instruction. But as Christ cleanses the church with the Word of God, so husbands are to do the same to their wives. Husbands teach wives. Go back to Ephesians now and look at verse six, chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers also are to teach their children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you can sort of get an idea of the weight uh, that the Scriptures place upon, upon the shoulders of husbands and fathers. You are to be the primary teachers of your wives and your children, sanctifying them, especially your wife, that you might present her as a woman ordained with the beauty of truth. Turn over to Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. We find that women are to be teachers in the church as well, older women. Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to, notice, teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Women are to teach the younger women in the church. That last time we talked about Ephesians chapter 4, and we noticed that there the whole body teaches one another in the faith, instructing one another, counseling one another. Turn over with me to Romans chapter 15. One last example. Verse 14. Romans 15, verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and notice, able to instruct one another. Now, the word here is, could be translated ad- admonish. And so, in the body of Christ, uh, each believer, as you grow in knowledge, is able to admonish and counsel one another. So, imagine how much money could be saved if mature believers counseled and instructed and nourished one another in the Word. This is the biblical view of how the body of Christ operates. When we don't grow to maturity, then we waste time. That's been invested in us. We also waste teaching. Going back now to Hebrews chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers in your homes, in your church, you need someone else to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words... 
Imagine if you had hired a tutor for one of your children and they met every week for 30 minutes and you're paying this individual to instruct them in some subject in order to get their grade up. And time goes on and you're watching the report cards come in and there's never any change. How many of you would not stop and say, we need to meet with the instructor, I want to find out what's going on. Is this an issue with him or you or where's the disconnect? Because I'm giving good money and there's no improvement. This is what the writer to the Hebrews is, is recognizing. You, you're attending the word, but there's no change in your life. Instead, we have to go back to the very elemental things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, I fed you with milk. In the very beginning, I, I gave you the easy portions of the word. You think of 1 Corinthians 2.2 where Paul coming to a community that had never heard the gospel before. He said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's what he preached. But there's, there's a time then to go on, not from that, but to build upon that foundation a new way of thinking and dealing with life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he refers to the milk as what newborn infants long for. Here, they are failing to grasp the deeper truths of Scripture. They still need the elemental things of the faith. I want you to think about something. Each year, if you attend, attend worship Sunday morning and evening, you hear about 52 hours of preaching. Sometimes it feels like a lot more than that. 52 hours. If you attend Wednesday evenings, you receive an additional 26 hours of teaching over the course of a year. If you come to Sunday school, you receive another 40 hours of teaching per year for a grand total of 118 hours of teaching in God's Word every year. In 10 years, think of it, how much teaching have you received in God's Word? Over a thousand hours. In the course of a year, if just by attending the Lord's worship faithfully and Sunday school and midweek services... That's like attending five conferences a year. I think the question from the writer to the Hebrews is, where's the traction? What are you doing with this? Why does it seem like we're having to go back and cover the basics again in your discipleship? Why aren't you discipling others by now? The third Thing that we squander is opportunity. He says you cannot take solid food because this is for the mature. You cannot move on to the deeper and equally important aspects of the teaching of God's Word. I, I think one of the errors that may prevail in our day is to think that the Bible, that all it has to teach us is what we need to know to be saved. And certainly it teaches that. But there's far more in God's Word that we fail to avail ourselves of if we don't study and apply it faithfully. The Bible talks about history and economics and civics 
and taxation and the buzzwords of today, diversity and equality and inclusion, the Bible addresses all of those subjects. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, that the man of God may be fully equipped. We notice from this then that immaturity in the faith adversely affects believers and the entire community of the church. It adversely affects you personally because your communion with Christ is cut short. Imagine, just for a moment, if you, you get married, you have your spouse, but you, you lack one of your senses. Maybe you can't hear, or maybe you can't see. And so you can only know your spouse by the way that maybe your sense of touch. And that's the only way that you know the contours of his or her face. Or maybe you can't hear her voice or his voice. And so your communication is limited to maybe you, you can read in Braille or, or some other uh, form of communication. When we fail to grow to maturity, that's the way that we love Christ. You see, the Bible spells out all of the contours of his glory and power and wisdom for you so that you might have uh, as one of my former pastors would say, handholds to hold on to so that your life is not swaying back and forth like a buoy in a tidal wave. You don't treasure Christ as he deserves because you never learn him on a deep level. Secondly, we notice not only the cause and effect of immaturity, but the cause and effect of maturity in verse 14. The cause and effect of maturity. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Notice the cause then of maturity. What is it? It's practice. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul exhorted Timothy as a young man with reference to his own pursuit of godliness, his pursuit of holiness. He said, in verse 7 of 1 Timothy 4, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You see, how do we grow to maturity? How does a man grow to maturity? Through practice. And some of that, unfortunately, includes you're living, you're working, you're raising your family and making mistakes and going back and looking to the Word and receiving counsel from other mature men asking, what should I have done in this situation? And you practice. 
And day by day, you're thinking about the Word and applying the Word. You're analyzing what you did in that business transaction or that meeting with the people in your office. And you're saying, how could I have done that in a way that brought more honor to Christ? Or you're counseling with a couple whose marriage is falling apart and they've asked you to come sit in their living room and you're helping them to apply the Word. Here's what you need to do. This is what the vision is of of mature people putting into practice the Word. There's no other way to do it but to read and apply and read and apply and study and strive and toil at it by the grace of God. What's the effect? Having your powers of discernment trained by constant practice, you may be able to distinguish good and evil. Now, think about that for a second, because not one of us would say, if, if we had a, a poll out here in the foyer, or narthex if you prefer, and said, do you know good and evil? You would say, yes. But you see, the Scriptures say that's an aspect of maturity. And so certainly it must be indicating to us that there's some level at which we learn good and evil even better. The, 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 the edges of it come into better relief the more that we apply, the more that we practice. And I'm able to distinguish on a finer level good and evil. Or in other words, the way to honor Christ in my life. You think about a child with one of those shape block balls and he sort of, as he begins, he's pedantically putting the right block into the right hole. And then he gets practice at it and he can simply identify it and put it there. And, and the Scriptures are giving us that as an illustration that, that what happens as you grow in maturity, it becomes more of a, a second nature to you of what principles of Scripture to put in which place. How to apply them. How to deal with your, your friends, your relationships. How to sustain them. When to break them off. You'll be a problem solver. Everybody, as we said, is is an expert at identifying problems. What we lack are those who can offer solutions. Very few indeed are able to offer biblical solutions. I think we profess to believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. That is, when we say that I believe that the Bible is all I need to understand how to live for the glory of Christ in every circumstance of my life. But how many of us do you think are faithfully applying that? How often do you find yourself maybe going to the bookstore and looking for some self-help book? Or maybe you turn on YouTube. I, I like to look and see how to fix my car, which takes place a lot every week, I think. Um, but how often do we find ourselves looking for a YouTube guru to help me or a, somebody on TikTok help me understand how to deal with this relationship rather than going to the infinite wisdom of Almighty God? Faithful Christians have to understand the causes and effects of immaturity and maturity. Why is maturity so important? 
Because the more you understand, listen, the more you study Christ, the sweeter will be your communion with Him. The more you will experience His blessings, the blessings that only He can dispense of security, comfort, hope, peace, and assurance of salvation, when you remain immature and foolish through a lack of effort, through dullness of hearing, you sacrifice all of these things. The blessings of comfort, security, hope, peace, joy, and assurance of salvation. This is why the writer to the Hebrews is pressing them, saying stop being uh, stuck on the sippy cups. You've got to go on. You've got to go on. Press on. Take effort. Make an effort to understand these things. Your perseverance in the faith is at stake. Your hope. The blessings that God wants to lavish upon you. These things are at stake. Perhaps today you recognize that maybe you're not just immature. Maybe you're not in the faith at all. Remember, those two can be hard to distinguish. So what I encourage you to do is, as we pray in just a second, I'm going to ask you to recommit yourself to Christ. If you haven't been pursuing Him and His Word, confess that as sin. And ask for His forgiveness and restoration. Ask Him to rekindle your zeal for the knowledge of Christ. And when you go home after worship, don't turn on the TV. Sit down with a good Christian book. Listen to a good Christian podcast. Good Christian podcast. Go back over your sermon notes. Read your Bible. Memorize a hymn. Do something to nourish your soul. And then, I want you to plan to nourish someone else this week. We're not intended to be a dead sea where the waters flow into us and never out. And pray that God would use your study to bless you and bless someone else. Let's pray together. I want you to take a moment just now. I want you to pray silently. And I want you to ask the Lord to perhaps reveal areas of your life where you've not been devoting yourself to Him or growing in maturity. Ask the Lord to help you to repent if there's a sense of laziness. Ask Him to give you a greater portion of His Holy Spirit. To kindle a greater zeal for His glory and love for Christ. Ask the Lord to use you 
to minister to someone else through the wisdom that you've gained by the study of His Word. Ask Him to kindle a fire in your family for the Word. That there will be a sweet love for Christ and for one another as you grow to know Him better. If there's wasted time or wasted teaching or wasted opportunity, ask the Lord to forgive you for that and to restore to you the joy of Christ's salvation. If you don't have a mentor in your life, someone to lead you in the faith, someone who can serve as iron sharpening iron in your life, ask the Lord to provide that. Father, we offer ourselves to You this morning. The Lord Jesus reminded us that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father, some of us perhaps have never started really eating of the Word. Maybe some started and stopped. And maybe some find themselves in a season of drought and they need a new application, the reinvigoration of Your Word by the work of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that today might be the day where we, for some, know salvation anew. Some are refreshed by the healing waters that come from the bosom of Christ. But all of us together as one man endeavor to grow to maturity so that we might love one another well. So that we might resist all of the wiles of our great enemy, the devil. And so that we might see new springs of living water rising up in our community, which so desperately needs it. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.